I took a preaching class one time and the professor said, uh, never apologize for your sermon before you preach it. Uh, it just sort of sets people up. Uh, but I'm going to uh, just make a disclaimer. I don't know if it's what an apology. There are certain sermons that are just impossible to make exciting or make alive or to find many stories for. Uh, they're just sort of uh, lots of information. And anyway, this sermon tonight is that way. It's just some information. It's a good information, but I, I always like to, you know, tie a fishing story in here, there, uh, just to keep your attention. And it was tough to do that on this one. So uh, you'll have to work a little bit. If you're prone to get uh, sleepy, you might want to get stand up while you listen and uh, go through that. So let me read to you our passage tonight. We're going through Second Peter. And we're in, uh, we finished uh, chapter 2 last week, and so we're in chapter 3 tonight. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 2. This is now, beloved, the second letter. That's what we call it, Second Peter. Second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So the whole letter is a reminder about what he wrote in the first letter. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. You should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. That's the Old Testament. And the commandment of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, Jesus, and Savior spoken by your apostles. The apostles, that was Peter and John and, and, and those guys that had seen Jesus. And so, uh, and those letters were written around. He said, pay attention to that information, read it. And uh, so we have that today in the Bible. We have the Old Testament that he referred to, the prophets, and we have the New Testament, the words of Jesus, the apostles, the things they wrote. And, uh, and so and we read it as the inspired and errant word of God. So number one in your notes, the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God and is our sole authority, our sole authority for theology, about what is true and false in life, and how to live our life for God. So if we're going to follow God, we have to follow what his will is, and he tells us his will in his word. We have to follow his principles, his guidelines, if we're going to live life successfully according to God. And so he's given us his word, uh, the Bible, for us to read and understand who he is, why he did what he did, and what his will is for our life. And so the question uh, periodically I get asked is, how do we know the, uh, the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God and it isn't a Montgomery Ward's catalog? Uh, I mean, is there some proof, something that we can hang our hat on as it were to say, yeah, this is the Bible, the inspired and errant word of God. So I'm going to go through that tonight. Uh, and it's more information. I, I, this is information that I learned in, in three months of a class on this topic when I went to Bible college. And so I've scrunched three months down into 30 minutes. And, and so it's just going to be some information. But I'll give you a couple of pieces of information. Uh, one of them is, is we have in our church website a, a Bible reading program or plan. It gives you a day-by-day reading and we can do it. And it also has about, I don't know, five, six hundred videos that they have made along with it, the Bible Project, 
on every topic under the sun. And they have about four hours of animated video on how we got the Bible, how we know it is the Word of God, how the canon of Scripture came about. And it is very, very well done. It's about two hours of listening, watching. It's a video. You can watch it on YouTube, on your phone or your laptop or any other thing you want. And it is extremely well done. Uh, it was, and it's, it's, it's down for the uh, kids, little kids can watch it and understand it. Where did we get the Bible? He explains it right there very, very clearly. And by the way they do the animation with the thing, it makes it so it sticks in your head. You remember the information. And Focus on the Family also has a, a video, a well-done video on how we got the Bible. A $10 donation gets you the video. That is a great investment. And so, especially if you have kids, they'll always ask the question, how do we know this is the Bible? And then, there you have it. They can watch the video. You can go on uh, your phone, the YouTube, watch the, uh, uh, the Bible Project videos, and the information is well presented, very clear, and uh, it's easy to understand, and it's very uh, persuasive in the right way uh, to understand information. So what I'm going to give you tonight is going to be a poor second place uh, to what they would give you. Um, Mainly because I don't have all the animation and I can't figure out how to tie a story to this stuff. And uh, it's a lot of information. But we'll just, you'll, you'll have it. A lot of it I printed, had them printed in here so you can take it away with you. So here's some information. The Bible was written by over 40 authors. And so you know that it wasn't one individual that started and wrote the book of Genesis and wrote the book of Revelation. It was different people who wrote all the different books, 40 different authors inspired by God. Inspired by God uh, basically means that the Spirit of God was in them while they were writing. A few of them actually dictated what they heard uh, uh, from God or an angel or they had a vision. But most of it was written uh, like I would write my blog but while they were writing, God's spirit was working in and through them. So what they w- wrote was the word inspired, uh, was with it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God has, was over a span of 1,500 years from different ethnic backgrounds, living on three continents and from various walks of life. The Old Testament came, contains 39 books, the New Testament 27 books, totaling 66 books. And so I remember when I was a kid, we had that quiz. How many books in the Old Testament? And all I had to do was get that one right. Then I could figure out the other two because 39 and then 3 times 9 was 27 and 39 plus 27 was 66. Yeah, I got an A on the test right there. How many books, Old Testament, New Testament, and total Bible. And the Old Testament, continuing reading there, we got the Old Testament began with the writings of Moses. Now he wrote that from verbal, obviously Moses wasn't alive during the creation or the flood, but all those were passed on uh, by stories and so Moses collected that and wrote the information about the creation the book of Genesis and all that happened up to the book of Exodus in which he was part of so Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and it ended uh, in the Old Testament with Ezra collecting uh, the books that the prophets wrote and David wrote and others and Ezra is credited with kind of collecting the 39 Old Testament books into one book, though when they were first done, some of the First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, those books were uh, as one, and then they later got divided. And so that happened in 450 B.C. Over a thousand-year period of time, these books were written and then collected together into one book uh, called the Old Testament. Thirty different men wrote portions of the Old Testament in Hebrew with a few chapters in Aramaic. 
So you have the whole Old Testament as a whole, all written in the language, uh, the Hebrew language, the language of the Jewish people. Ezra is the person who gathered all 39 books together as a collection of books that is now called the Old Testament. All Hebrew scribes and scholars have agreed that since 450 B.C. that the books collected by Ezra is the completed word of God, Old Testament, according to Jewish uh, acceptance. And so when you say, who decided, there was uh, dozens and dozens of individuals, Jewish scribes and scholars, who basically agreed that uh, the Bible is completed. The historian Josephus said that the Old Testament was completed and closed by 424 B.C. Josephus declared that since the death of Artaxerxes in 424 B.C., no one had dared to add anything to the Jewish scriptures, to take anything from them, or to make any change in them. So we would just call that the canon or the accepted, the established books of the Old Testament written by prophets of God. New Testament, the New Testament began with Paul. It, it, that would be a kind of a trick question, wouldn't it? Because you tend to think that Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so it was the book, first book written. Books are not in the New Testament on the basis or the order at which they were written, except Revelation. And so the very first book uh, written, as far as when it was written time-wise, is the book of First Thessalonians by the Apostle Paul. Now, it's not first, but that was first written. And uh, so... Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians, and when he did that, he sent it out to all the other churches that he had already started, or others had started, and it got sent to other churches as well. Um, and so it began with Paul, 1 Thessalonians 51 AD, and then ended with John writing the book of Revelation in 96 AD. There are eight or nine different men involved in the writing of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James, Jude, and the writer of Hebrews. Uh, and some would say Paul wrote it. Others say nobody knows. But uh, we'll just throw him in as an extra ninth author of the New Testament. New Testament was written in Koine Greek. I took Koine Greek and uh, I became a renowned scholar in it. <laughs> because I, I can operate my little app I have, I can press an English word and it'll tell me the Greek word. Oh, yeah, look at that. I know all the Greek words. Just a simple push of a key. I did take a Greek, and, uh, but most everything I took I have forgotten. And, uh, but I know it well enough to use the app on my iPad uh, that shows me what the words are and everything about it. There's so much information on that now. One hardly needs to know, know it, but uh, it was a fun class to take. Uh, Koine Greek. The reason that Greek, uh, Alexander the Great conquered the whole known world and he wanted to turn the whole world into uh, Greek culture and so everybody learned Koine Greek every place. And so it was interesting that the New Testament was written in the language that everybody knew everywhere. Uh, it was the basic trade language of the world uh, because of his conquering the world. Uh, the New Testament Gospels and the Epistles were copied and circulated among the churches for years before the Council of Hippo in 393 A.D. and the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. They had a lot of these uh, council meetings of the various church leaders. And uh, in the early days, Peter was in those, John was in them, and uh, Polycarp, a disciple of John and other what we would call early church fathers, ones that knew uh, the apostles. And so they would have these meetings, and they would decide uh, 
uh, uh, theology, doctrine, practice of the church, etc. And so in those two, the Council of Hippo and the Council of Carthage, they decided to establish what is accepted as the word of God and what is not. Because there were beginning to be a lot of books written that were suspect in the sense of theology. The Gospels of Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had been previously collected into one book. And they had, that had happened early on the basis of the life of Jesus. And it was read in most of the existing churches by 100 A.D. Justin Martyr, writing about 150, said that most of the churches were in the habit of reading them, reading from the four Gospels in their weekly meetings. So they had been collected, the four Gospels, but mostly the writings of Paul and John and Peter, they were still going everywhere as individual books. The reason for the councils of Hippo and Carthage was to establish what was the inspired word of God because of the proliferation of false writings and teachings infecting the churches. And so, you know, the devil wants to mess the church up right from the beginning. And so he's going to inspire or motivate these dudes to write a letter and say, yeah, I heard from God. We had a sort of a modern guy do that named Joseph Smith and write a book and say, this is the word of God. And that was happening a lot during the time of the early church. And so the early church fathers said, we need to figure out what is God's word and what isn't. And, uh, Here's some passages that they wrote about the false teachers. Second Peter, false prophets arose among the people, just as all, there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought that, bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the truth will be maligned. And then John, in 1 John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. And then Jude wrote, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all handed down to the saints. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so they're constantly dealing with this false teaching that was spreading to the churches. So when they got together in these councils and they said, okay, is James in or out? Is Jude in or out? Is 1 Corinthians in or out? They had three tests that they would use as they evaluated the various letters to determine what was the word canon was used, which is uh, a word that we would use now for a ruler uh, in the sense of that was the standard, the Bible. First test, the writer had to be an apostle or somebody closely associated with an apostle. Matthew, John, and Paul had all seen the resurrected Christ they were apostles. The only non-apostles were Luke, who traveled with Paul, Mark, who accompanied Peter, and Jude, who was Jesus' half-brother. And so who the person was that wrote the letter was a critical factor. And uh, 
those individuals would authenticate their apostleship. Now, the Apostle Paul, regularly, if you read through Paul's writings, you will see statements where he defends his apostleship. He said, am I not an apostle? Didn't I not see Jesus? And, and various things he would use. One of the things that uh, proved he was an apostle was the fact that they would uh, take his handkerchief and, and wherever it went, people would get healed just from the power of his handkerchief. He healed people every place he went. He had that phenomenal. Peter, just a shadow falling on people, would heal people. And so one of the signs of a, an apostle during that time was they could do these miraculous works demonstrating that they were in... in uh, the servant of God. And so, Paul, yeah, if it, he wrote it, it's in. If he could prove it was Paul's letter, it was definitely included. John was in. Peter was in. The apostles, the ones that saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, heard Jesus, whatever they wrote, that was in. And so that was a key test. The apostles wrote their letters, gospels, and revelations to the churches. The churches, recognizing the authority of these writings, made copies and passed them to other churches which was how the New Testament was spread throughout the Mediterranean world. So the early church, they read what the apostles wrote, but they got it in letters that were copied and recopied and sent here and sent there. Colossians 4.16, Paul's writing says, When this letter, that's the letter of Colossians, is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is, among, that is coming from, the Laodicea, from Laodicea. And so they would write these letters to various churches, and then those churches would send them to other churches. First Thessalonians 5.27, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Second test, the writings had to line up doctrinally with the teachings of Christ, the apostles, and the Old Testament. And they already had the Old Testament established, and so and they knew the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, and so anything that was outside of them had to line up with their writings. That was why the book of Hebrews got included in the canon of Scripture, though they didn't know who the author was, because the doctrine in the book lined up perfectly with everything else that had been written. Number three, the writings had to be ones that the early church fathers read in their weekly services, and the early church fathers accepted and that the early church councils affirmed. And so when the church first began, Paul's running around the country starting churches. He charges, starts a church at Ephesus and Corinth and Rome and these various places, and he sends letters out to them. And, uh, and so they had pastors. Timothy was a pastor, and Apollos was a pastor. These various early church pastors would accept letters as being yeah, that's a, that's a letter from Paul, or yes, that's a letter from Peter or John. And so that had to be one of the criteria. Anything they accepted was accepted by the early church fathers and early churches as authentic. Number two, the Bible itself claims to be the inspired, inerrant word of God. So the various writers affirmed other writings. The classic passage is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, the word scripture is a technical word for uh, the inspired word of God. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So Paul's writing this to Timothy. And so here's a little trivia quiz. First letter Paul wrote was... First Thessalonians, 
It's testing your memory, huh? First Thessalonians, the last letter Paul wrote was Second Timothy. Second Timothy. And so here in Second Timothy, he writes to Timothy, all scripture. And so Paul had uh, read everything up to that point had been written except probably Revelation. And, uh, and he said it's inspired by God. Jesus speaking in Luke 24. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, Old Testament, first five books of the Bible were the law of Moses and the prophets that would be the major prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, minor prophets and the Psalms all the things that were written about me in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures the scriptures scriptures the term that it means the inspired word of God so Jesus declared Old Testament uh, Psalms and prophets to be in the scripture of God. Second Peter one twenty. But know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, so Peter's referring to Paul's writings, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scripture. And so Peter calls Paul's writings scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us Paul affirming his own writings the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Number three if we're talking about now reasons why we believe the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. Many prophecies made by the writers of the Old Testament have happened exactly as prophesied uh, and often are separated by thousands of years. The most classic passage is, uh, is the book of Daniel. And so you can get uh, books about Daniel that will tell you the various prophecies that Daniel made about the uh, Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, the, the uh, uh, Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, uh, and how they all fit together. And they're exactly fulfilled. He even talks in the book of Daniel about days yet to come during the tribulation period and the Antichrist and uh, the days that will happen following that's all in the book of Daniel and uh, there's many 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 prophecies if you want to study it and look it up you can see were fulfilled years later exactly the way it was written one of the easy examples is Isaiah 44:28 oh it's an example there's over 200 years between the prophecy of Isaiah and the life of Cyrus king of Persia and so Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus Isaiah 44:28 it is 
is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will perform all my desires, and he declares uh, and he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. And so the temple has been destroyed. Babylonian captivity and uh and then in Ezra 1 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. The Persian Empire, if you remember, came after the Babylonian Empire. And Darius was one of the emperors of the Persian Empire. Now in the first year of or excuse me, Cyrus, Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So they sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so 200 years before that, Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would build the temple. And uh, I mean, it's like you don't even have to be a Bible scholar to see those two. Number four, the power that God's word has displayed over the years to transform lives. Suggests the Bible is supernatural. So, If you said to me, if you weren't a believer, if you were a 14-year-old kid, Pastor D, how do I know the Bible is true? Here I am. I'm living proof. My life has changed from being a snot-nosed brat to who I am today on the basis of the Bible the power the Bible has to transform people's lives. And so that's easily observed. And it's one of the reasons why you read about the early church fathers. They said the Bible proves itself to be inspired. The Bible proves itself. We don't need to prove. We don't need to be God's emissary and say this is how we know. Just look at the people who believe it, who follow it, and look at the change in their life. The Bible proves itself by the evidence of the lives, the number of lives and people who have changed because of the power of the Word of God. I read the Bible for the first time when I was 13. I went to camp, and my uh, counselor, you've heard me tell this story before, but it's one of my favorite ones, his his name was Mr. Titus. Good name for a, a junior high camp counselor, Mr. Titus. He was a single dude, just a young college guy. He sold insurance, and uh, he would come and be a counselor for the summer. And he had a box of Bibles and a uh, a cardboard box of Bibles, leather-bound, really nice Bibles. And he would say to us boys in the cabin, I will give you one of these free if you promise you'll read it, all of it, this next year. And uh, so nobody... You know, volunteered right off the bat, but I kept looking at those nice Bibles, leather covered Bibles. Finally, I says, "All right, I'll do it." He gave me the Bible. He said, "You coming next year?" I said, "I think so." He said, "I am too." He said, "I'll check on you." And so he gave me a little booklet that gave me a schedule for reading the Bible through in a year, and then also uh, to a list of verses to memorize, one verse a week. And uh, I memorized all fifty-two of those verses, and I read the Bible all the way through as a thirteen-year-old. And I've, it's, I've never been the same since. I've never missed a year of reading at least one time through and memorizing 50 plus verses a year. And it transformed my life. 
from a 13 year old all the way up to where I am today and so when I, somebody says how do I know the, the Bible is true I know the Bible is true because of what it did to me it wasn't just motivational words it's the power the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the book and the lives of people and I'm not the only one there are hundreds and thousands of people whose lives have been changed by the power of God's word Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints after, and, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power the greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in his right hand in heavenly places. And so that verse is like <laughs> packed full of power, power, power to transform lives. Number five, creation is a constant reminder and picture of God's nature and existence. So one of the things, if you read the writings of, um, of uh, I don't know why I've developed such a brain block on names of late. Anybody here in leadership too? I couldn't remember my 4-H leader's name. His name is John Wallen. It finally came to me in the middle of the night. It drove me crazy. I couldn't remember his name. John Wallen. Anyway, um, Oh, the dude that went to jail, uh, Nixon's hatchet man. Colson, Chuck Colson. He got saved in prison with a book written by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And then he wrote a book from that book. And the basic premise of the book is that we know God exists because there is right and wrong. In the animal world, animal kingdom, there's no right or wrong. It's big and little. It's tough and weak. It's whoever's got the biggest fangs and can run the fastest. has nothing to do with, okay, let's vote on this, or what's right, what's wrong, let's have it. And so we have this sense of rightness and wrong. And he said, that is absolutely a clear proof that there's a God. And he, then he went from there. And logic, he said, if there is a God, and there is, it's obvious, because of what's in us, and then creation, creation proves the existence of God, and we exist, and so if there is a God big enough to create everything that we see, he would certainly communicate to us, and if you read anything and everything that claims to be some communication from God to us, the only thing that comes close to being logical or sensical about a word from God is the Bible. There's nothing comes close to it in the sense of Wow, this is obviously the word of God written to people. Um, Romans 1, 19 through 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Inside of us. God made it evident. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Number six, the unity and agreement between 66 books written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors is an amazing proof of a common supernatural author. I went and heard Chuck Colson speak up in Portland. And uh, I don't remember the number of guys that were part of this group that were plotting this uh, thing with Nixon that all got caught. But he said, when the guy that broke in to the Democratic headquarters 
got caught and arrested, he said, we all got together and agreed upon our story. We wanted to make sure that when we were questioned, we all told the same story. We, we agreed on it. He said, and we were all smart men. And none of us wanted to go to prison. He said, it took about three days before every one of us went our own way, threw everyone else under the bus to save our own skin. That's all it took, he said. And we knew that if we stuck together, we would be saved, but we couldn't do it. He said, how in the world did 12 men, 11 men, called apostles of Jesus, over the years they lived their life, all of them crucified, uh, had their heads cut off, and would have been spared had they just simply recanted, denied. But they lived their life, every one of them, true to the same story up until their very death. Chuck Colson says, that's the greatest proof that there is that God was the author of the book and that Jesus Christ was real and that those men actually saw him walk on the water and cast out demons and raise the dead. They believed and they were willing to give their life for what they believed. And so you have the Bible, 66 books, 1,500 years, 40 different authors. And you read it, Genesis to Revelation. And it's like one book in the sense of the doctrine, the truth, Everything that's written in it. Number seven, archaeological discoveries have continued to prove the accuracy of the biblical descriptions of historical events and places. It's almost weekly. If you subscribe to uh, things that put out news about what they discover, uh, places uh, that they... Now that place didn't exist when it was in the Bible, but all of a sudden they do a dig and they find out, oh yeah, the place does exist, just like it said in the Bible. And so repeatedly there's archaeological discoveries proving that the uh, events, the, his, the history in the Old Testament was true. Number eight, the endurance of the Bible over the years to continue to exist and be passed on over many years basically intact with its original message. Easily suggests that God has been protecting and guiding the whole process. So from the very beginning, Genesis all the way down to John writing the book of Revelation... Those things were written and then sent and written and sent and written and sent. So when you do these archaeological digs, what you find are manuscripts, pieces, parts of everything that had been written for years and years and years and years. And then with the Dead Sea Scrolls having been discovered, you see large portions of the Bible all brought together. Um, the book of Moses had been copied for more than 1,400 years And when you look at all the evidence, all the manuscripts, there's over 14,000 pieces of the Bible uh, in possession of people. Comparing manuscripts of the same books in the Bible, all these various pieces, there are several thousand textual variants. In other words, there'll be some differences as you read one manuscript and compare it with another. There'll be some differences um, that were made in copying. The, man the Bible manuscripts are 99.5% in agreement all these 14,000 manuscripts, as they look at them and compare them, they're 99.5% in agreement with the variants only consisting of less than a half percent. The mistakes are minor blunders and none of the variants affect any major doctrine. So 14,000 manuscripts written over 1,500 years by people by hand scattered all over the known world and you collect all the pieces that they're discovered and you lay it all out side by side by side by side and say, is there anything that would 
show a difference in a truth in the Bible, and there's none. There's none. 99.5% the same with the variance amounting to nothing. Compared to non-biblical manuscripts, we have only seven manuscripts of the writings of Plato, five manuscripts of the writings of Aristotle. In 1947, a shepherd boy was throwing rocks in a cave and heard uh, something break. Inside the cave, archaeologists found jars of uh, ancient manuscripts which have been preserved for 2,000 years. Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 11 caves. They found 28 nearly complete scrolls and 100,000 fragments of another 875 manuscripts in multiple portions of every book of the Old Testament. They found 25 copies of Deuteronomy. As they explored other caves, they found a copy of the entire book of Isaiah. When they compared the Dead Sea, uh, Dead sea Isaiah manuscript with the book of Isaiah we have today, they were identical, except for the spelling of a few words. Now that's amazing, that a book written way back in the time of Isaiah put in a cave and discovered and looked at what we have in our Bible today compared with what that had right then and there's virtually no difference in it. That could only happen if it was supernaturally shepherded by God who wanted his word read by us today. And uh, so the preservation of God's word is a clear picture to me that it is indeed the word of God. And uh, if you have uh, kids, there is so much stuff available. Uh, the Bible Project, uh, the focus on the family. And you just Google it. Just Google, how do we know the Bible is true? You will see all kinds of, of workbooks, of, of uh, study books, of videos, of movies that have great factual information in uh, the whole uh, process of inscripturation is what my professor and uh, Bible school used to call the process inscripturation. How do we get the Bible? Inscripturation. The inspired writers copied it and copied it and copied it and sent it and, and then copied it and kept coming and kept coming. That old scripturation process. God shepherded it, brought it down to where we are today. And so we can read it with confidence that it is the inspired, inerrant word of God, our sole authority for doctrine, for theology, and for who God is, what his standards are, and how we ought to live our life. And the most important thing, how do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven and not go to hell? The Bible tells us the truth of the word of God has been protected and shepherded by God over the years. We can trust it. Ah, look at that. I'm even done seven minutes early. Let's close with prayer. Number nine. Oh, I did that. Okay. Number nine, I sense uh, a major proof that the Bible is uh, inspired word of God is the sense by those who read the Bible that it is supernatural. I can't remember. Oh, I think it was John MacArthur said, I never try to prove the Bible is true to someone who's never read it. He said, if they read it, I rarely have to prove to them that it's true. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God, it's living. It's supernatural. It supernaturally works in the very core of our being. And those who read it know uh, that it's supernatural. All right, I'm glad you reminded me. Let's pray. And then the ushers are going to come and pass out some cards. And when you get it, fill it out, please, if you would. Prayer requests. If you want to have a put a question. This was prompted tonight by a question somebody wrote in one of their cards. So when I saw the verse tonight, I thought, oh, this would be a good place to answer that. And so you can write other questions if you like. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can live our lives today with a standard uh, that we can trust, we can believe. This is the inspired and errant word of God. It's our sole authority for who you are and what you've done and what your motives are. We can learn about your love and why you want us to live with you forever. We can learn all that in your, in your word, the Bible, the inspired word of God. And I pray that we would read it. You, Lord, have preserved it. We would read it, read it faithfully, memorize it, meditate on it, and allow it to change us from the inside out. Thank you for your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.